0: Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of the Arsenal Beat, a podcast which brings together the journalists and reporters who cover Arsenal on a regular basis. On the Arsenal Beat today is myself, Sam Dean from The Telegraph, and I'm joined by Charles Watts of Goal and the Athletics' Art de Roche. Now, we're going to start, uh, as ever, with a review of the previous game, but not, game, not, not in terms of what actually happened, but more in terms of the performances of certain individuals. And I think one player who really stood out not for the first time in a big game, was David Louise uh, He was named of the match by Gary Neville. Uh, Arteta spoke very globally about him afterwards. And with his contract running out, only a few months left until he's a free agent, uh, it's starting to become an interesting issue for Arsenal. Now, Charlie, you were at the game. I believe you were uh, rather cold at the game and have since addressed that with a purchasing some warm socks uh, which i'd like to hear more about but also what did you make of louise and what do you make of the louise situation overall
1: yeah those socks are supposed to be arriving today actually so uh, that's going to be a bonus ahead of Wolves tomorrow night brutal it was uh the other day so so cold um yeah for louise played really well he's played well like he said in plenty of big games for arsenal made plenty of rickets as well but louise just brings a lot to arsenal i think when he plays well he's He's just that. He is a calming influence. Everyone looks up to him. The young players like him, the senior pros like him, Arteta likes him. And he, he's just that sort of glue that holds everything together, really. You do know there's a mistake in him at some point and it's, you know, it could be a high profile one and you just never quite know when it's going to happen, but you've got to take the rough the smooth of him, I, I think really. And although you look back on it and a lot of people have had a go at that deal and, yeah, you can't think it's actually not been that bad a transfer for Arsenal really it worked out they won the FA Cup with him he was great in the big games in that in on the way to that silverware I think he's had a decent season this season after coming back from the injury issues and and everything and it's worked out to be a fairly decent signing for him on the whole so um know, it's good to see him playing well and long may that continue between now and the end of the season
2: uh what do you reckon do you uh, do you see Louise having a future at Arsenal beyond this season I think it's completely understandable if Mikel Arteta and Eddie decide to give him another extension this this summer. Because, yes, as well as what uh, Charles has mentioned there, he has been fairly consistent in his performances. Although there are those high profile mistakes that do crop up from time to time, really. And I think some people maybe just can't see past that. But when you look at what he brings to the Arsenal side, I think it is of great value to Mikel Arteta, considering the balance of the squad as well. I think... When you look at the Arsenal squad right now, there are a bunch of players who are either late 20s, early 30s, and then the rest who are kind of key influ- influential players are late teens, early 20s. You don't have a lot of players who are in that mid-20s bracket.
0: With the Wheeze in particular, it, it strikes me that people often underestimate how influential he is behind the scenes. Um, I think a lot of people look at him and the high-profile mistakes he's made at various points in his career in England and go, uh, there's just a guy who clowns around and is a bit of a joker. But actually, he's genuinely seen as one of the leaders and, and good professionals. And Charlie, you touched on this before. And I know, for example, that part of the reason they gave him this contract that he's on now, which was his second year at Arsenal, was because they really viewed him as one of the guys to help William Saliba learn. Um, obviously, that didn't quite work out with the Saliba stuff. And we've covered that extensively in previous podcasts you should listen to. But... Um, but that sort of speaks volumes for, for who he is. And someone like Gabriel Martinelli, a young Brazilian, for example, Arteta spoke about his influence on him and said is it, it's a key role model. And uh, I, I agree with you all about the age, the age balance, and you sort of need those role models. But the issue with Louise is, is he going to want to stay and play, presumably at a reduced wage, given he's going to be 34 in April? And then you've got the situation of, is he going to want to play every single week? Or is he going to accept the fact that Gabriel's the, Coming through, that Rob Holding doing well. Pablo Maris there, so do you th- it almost depends on him more than the club, really. If that makes sense, Charlie?
1: Yeah, it does. I think it probably does, and it kind of depends what Kia wants to do with him as well, and what Kia can maybe can get offered from elsewhere for him. But yeah, and I, you talk about the influence he has, and you know, it's not just with the young Brazilians. So many of the young English lads have, talk, have spoken about Luis publicly, you know, like Saka, and Joe Willett. They've all talked about him and how important he's been to helping them settle Um, you know he is that really really key figure and he seems to um, take a lot of the youngsters under his wing and and guide them it was interesting him in the I think it was a program he did a piece for the program this week and he talked about his desire to move into coaching fairly quickly you know as soon as football ends because he kind of lives and breathes football he can't imagine himself not being in and around the pitch and he's obviously uh, he said he's already started taking his badges in fact and he's probably already working towards that now so you kind of look at what he might, if he does stay for another year, what he might be able to sort of help out with that, you know, move towards that sort of coaching. If he's not going to play much, he might be willing to accept it and take a little bit less money. If he can start working a little bit more with Arteta and, and doing that side of things and with under 23s next season. So there's plenty that you could put on the table to convince him to stay for another year, if he's not going to get that much game time, but, I don't know, it's a, it's a difficult one. As, as much as I've been sitting here waxing lyrical about him, I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that another year would be absolutely the best decision f- from Arsenal for him. Maybe it's time to start moving away from... Maybe it's time to start moving away from that. So it, it, there's lots for both sides, both parties, to kind of weigh up before a final decision is made on that one.
0: Right, now let's move on, because today, as we're recording, is transfer deadline day. Um, and... At the time of recording, there are still some things, still some things to be sorted by Arsenal, mainly uh, outgoings and uh, some of the young guys on loan, and also Quadri Mustafi. Taking it away, Mustafi for a moment, up. How, how well do you think Arsenal have done in this transfer window, and, and how would you sort of rate their business?
2: If I was going to give it like a, a, a letter grade, <laughs> I'd say B plus maybe. In terms of what what going into the window, what they really needed to do was trim the squad, and I think they Started to address that before the window even opened with uh Said leaving on loan to Schalke. got getting that kind of business done very early, and then also we've seen how although the Mesut of deal dragged on maybe more than they wanted it to, they, they were able to get that over the line. Now we're seeing what's happening with Squadra and Mustafi, and I think that was the big, big ask for uh. Arsenal going into January, slimming that squad down to get to a point where Mikel Arteta and the players still at Arsenal are happy and they're able to move on it in a way where everyone can develop as they, they would need to.
0: Charlie, have you got your own uh, grading system in mind for Arsenal?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think what Art said is absolutely bang on in terms of getting the players out they have. And if they do get this Mustafi over the line to Schalke... Um, and that's fantastic. I don't think any of us would have predicted at the start of the window that they got rid of Socrates, Mustafi, Ozil and Kolasinac by the end of the month. Um, I mean, that's just a huge weight off the mind of Arsenal, a huge weight off the mind of Mikel Arteta as well in terms of his squad, the makeup up of the squad, how happy players are going to be at London Colney between now and the end of the season because having those lot around wasn't going to be doing him or them any favours. So fair play to Edu um, for that. There's been a bit. They've shown a little bit of ruthlessness there, which perhaps Arsenal have been lacking before in some windows with unwanted players that they haven't managed to get off the books. They've managed to do that, and you look at the additions they've made so far. They needed a goalkeeper. They needed to make a quick decision and and fix the kind of mess they got themselves into with Runison. and they've done that by adding an experienced Matt Ryan. And you know Odegaard's is a very exciting signing if he can settle well and adjust to the Premier League in a short space of time, he can make a big impact between now and the end of the season. You know, you're looking at, like Art said, a B-plus type thing. is uh, is pretty much spot on, I think. They'll be all very happy at London Colney.
0: What are the, uh, one of the signings this January that's sort of thrown under the radar somewhat was uh, the addition of promising defender Omar Reckick to the under-23 team. And now, I don't think any of us here can claim to know a huge amount about Reckick, but... Uh, we've spoken to a German based fighter who works for one football called Lewis Ambrose, who, who knows more than most about the, uh, the new centre-back.
3: I think there was a little bit of surprise. I remember the deadline day back in the summer. There were The rumours sort of came out that Arsenal were just about to sign him. It came a little bit out of the blue uh, in Germany. So it was deadline day. Arsenal were very suddenly about to sign him. And obviously the deal didn't go through in time, so he sort of held on until January. He's highly rated, at least at Hertha he was. He's not a player that probably has garnered that much attention in Germany, generally speaking, because he's not German. So I think it's natural that when you're a youth player playing in Germany, the, the scrutiny or the attention goes on German players, but he's represented, I think, Tunisia and the Netherlands at youth level. I think he plays for the Netherlands now, mostly. Um, But he was already the under-19 captain at Hertha at at 17 years old. He was making Bundesliga squads last season towards the back end of last season. And then this season, he ended up playing for the club's second team as a bit of an under-23 team that play in the fourth tier in Germany. So it's not the highest level but it's obviously a bit of professional experience playing against men against adults against senior teams and I think to be honest especially the way that Hertha seasons have gone he probably would have been in the reckoning to be in the squad in the Bundesliga a little bit more often but given that everybody knew he was going to end up joining Arsenal in January anyway he ended up then playing for the second team instead. Is it a bit too easy to just say his brother? Um, I mean, so Karen Recklick obviously played for Man City for a bit, played for Hertha, uh, is at Sevilla now. I think he's a bit quicker than his brother from what I can tell. Um, I'm not certainly not an expert on either, a complete expert on either player. But I think from what you can see, the, f- the fact that he's ended up at Arsenal at this stage, I think there is a little bit more there than his brother. He's played in midfield a little bit. He's played at right back a little bit but he is predominantly a centre-half. He's a big physical presence up against players his own age. So I don't think that transition into men's football, as long as those other qualities are there, will be you know a huge, huge demand that he won't be able to, to meet up to the expectations physically of playing against bigger players. I think you can see that he's quite calm on the ball as well. I don't think a player would be playing in midfield, certainly not for a Dutch team, if that if he didn't have that ability as well and at right back too so I think you can see quite a rounded centre back obviously we've seen Arsenal this season as well Michael Arteta wants a left footed player on the left and a right footed player on the right Rekic tended to play on the left for Herta's youth teams so when he was playing at centre back so there's a little bit of both footedness there a little bit of comfort playing on both sides but he is right footed and is more than happy to play the ball out in the sort of fashion you'd expect I guess from a centre-back playing for the Dutch youth teams so I think we'll probably I don't know if we'll we'll ever see him really feature for Arsenal but I think it's not an accident that he's ended up at the club and they've clearly signed him with the idea that he's the sort of profile they want there I think I'd be surprised if he if he went on and kicked on and had a development to become sort of a regular right back or a player that plays more in midfield than at centre-back I think he is a centre-back And yeah, I guess at Arsenal right now, we've got Rob Holding, who's playing on the right side of that centre-half partnership. There's talk around the club. There's plenty of talk about that being a position that Arsenal might try and sign somebody next summer or looking forward. Rob Holding, you've got Gabriel and Pablo Marie on the left. Rob Holding, maybe William Saliba, if Mikel Arteta does eventually fancy him to play on the right um, if not, then I think that that's probably where we'd see Rekic come in.
0: And then next to the door was a, a deal that I don't think anyone expected. And fair, fair play to both Brighton and Arsenal for keeping this one under the wraps quite quickly. It just sort of emerged out of nowhere, which uh, as journalists, we've not done our jobs very well there collectively. Um, but that's Matt Ryan coming in as a backup goalkeeper in a competition for Burn Leno. Um, not many journalists have seen more of Ryan in the flesh than freelancer and author of Brighton up Nick Chapman and uh, and Nick here explains what kind of player and what kind of man
4: Arsenal have landed until the end of the season at least. Well, I mean very good um for the first three seasons, you know, the, he was at the undisputed number one. Uh you know, we had this the immensely promising um Christian Walton but he never looked like unseating Ryan. Um he got a very good understanding with um with Lewis Dunk and Shane Duffy, and uh, he kind of knew his place. You know, they would deal with the, the high stuff into the box. Um, he'd stay on his line and uh, save anything that got past them. And um, <clears throat> until this season, the the only sort of doubt has been about a slight lack of height. Uh, but that didn't really seem to be much of a problem. But this season, I think there's been more, uh, more doubts. You know, the number of goals they concede from set pieces now that, that Duffy's gone, um, there seemed to be more, um, more onus put on the goalkeeper to come off his line, and, and that hasn't been his strong point. I think there was also the the, the expected goals against didn't look good, you know, that we weren't conceding many shots, but the ones that we were conceding were going in, and, um, you know, that tends to point in one direction. Having said that, you know, I think we look back on a a, a remarkable save he made in an away game at Southampton last season. I think Yannick West-Vestergaard hit one from about 25 yards plus looked to be going in He and then it, it hit the bar and it was only when you saw the replays you realised he'd got a touch to it um, you know and that made the difference between a, a vital away point and, and, a, and a loss so um, you know he's, he's capable of great reaction saves no question about that but a big personality as well you know great communicator on the pitch you know and a gear up of, of his defenders you know always sort of clapping his hands and shouting and uh, great communicator but you know he, he's a big character um, you know, if, the, if there was a goal to be celebrated, somehow you'd see him in the pylon. You know, he'd run the whole length of the field to join the celebrations. And um, uh, there was once when a, a, a teammate of his, I think, at, um, in Bruges, um, Iskardo scored a goal against West Ham. And he was the first in the celebrations. You know, Iskardo ran down the, the wing and, and was, met, you know, in, j- jumping into, into Ryan's arms. So, uh, you know, big talker. Uh, big character, um, you know, and uh, uh, one of those guys who, who's in charge of raising the morale as well. And I think that the emergence of uh, Robert Sanchez, you know, goalkeeper, that they got a lot of faith in coming up in the under-23s, who's also six foot five as opposed to six foot nothing, and exudes an aura of calm, you know, when the ball's coming in from from a great height. So I think they just thought that uh, they gave him. It's a very a bit odd, really, though. They gave him his debut away to Tottenham. Um, possibly, you know, to, to counter the sort of the Tottenham aerial threat from set plays, then put Ryan back in for the next game. And then Sanchez was back in for the one after that and, and really hasn't hasn't looked anything to lose his place. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of time for Ryan around the club. And if he, if he wants to play, you know, because, uh, you know, he, he wants to make sure he, he keeps his team, in, uh, his Australia place, then I think they were quite keen for him to go somewhere to do it. And I think so that... The move to be a number two at Arsenal was a bit of a surprise. I mean, I think people were expecting him to go to a championship club or somewhere abroad where he'd be the number one and, and have the playing time.
0: Art, oh, at the risk of sounding very harsh to uh, Runison, is the the main benefit of Matt Ryan coming in that he's not Alex Runison playing backup goalkeeper to Burn
2: Leno? I think so. I remember when Alex Runison was put up. On- up for the Europa League press conferences I can't remember which game exactly but uh, I was able to ask him a few questions and it was very clear that uh, Inaki Kana was an influential figure in his signing for the club um, one thing he mentioned was just having a familiar face around at, at Arsenal and that helped a lot but when you see how he performed um, in the Europa League and in that um, Carabao Cup game against Manchester City it wasn't it wasn't pretty and so I think it was totally understandable that uh, Mikhail Teta and Edu wanted to, to find a different backup to Bernd Leno, and in Matt Ryan I think I think it's another B-plus type of signing I feel uh, it's a loan deal that will help Bernd Leno because of the competition that uh, Matt A. Ryan would um, give him, but I do feel that Matt Ryan is also a good keeper, he's shown that in Brighton's first few seasons in the Premier League where um, I don't feel he was as he was criticised as much as he has been this season for especially the I guess, the expected goals conceded to goals conceded ratio which has obviously boomed this season but I think that uh, in taking his whole Brighton career into consideration I do feel it is a good sign in and uh, one thing that maybe a uh, very small detail is that he can speak Spanish. So there is that way you maybe able to communicate with Canna and um, Arteta a bit better.
0: Charlie, I'm going to ask you to gaze into your crystal ball and uh, tell
1: me how you think the Arsenal goalkeeper situation might look by the start of next season. I think you might know that better than anyone else, Mr. Dean, um, in terms of what Arsenal want to do with their goalkeepers going forward. But I'm not sure Matt Ryan will be there. Um, I'm not sure Runison will be there. <laughs> I, if I was uh, if I was anyone at Arsenal, I'd be getting Runison out the door as quickly as I possibly could, to be honest, and accepting I've made an absolute howler. Um, not trying to dig him out too much, but oh, he just doesn't look anything like an Arsenal goalkeeper to me. You know, I, I don't, I can't see Arsenal moving away from Burnt Leno as number one for, for any time for a while yet. Anyway, I think Leno's been great recently. I think he had a shaky start to the season. Perhaps he'd been out for a long time. He had the whole thing with Martinez as well, which probably knocked his confidence a little bit. People started doubting him just because he hadn't been playing for a while. I think suddenly it was, oh, Martinez is, you know, best keeper in the world. Why are we letting him go? And that, you know, I think that would knock any player's confidence a little bit. And it took him a little bit of time to settle back into the side, but he's been great recently. Great at the weekend as well against United. Fantastic save from Fred. Um, he's right back to his best now and he's looking like a top level goalkeeper and he's still coming towards his prime now in goalkeeping years. So... I don't think Arsenal need to do too much in terms of replacing him for a fair while yet, yeah, as long as he's happy and doesn't look for a move anywhere. But um, I do think they'll, they'll certainly be looking to bring in a much stronger number two, who's perhaps slightly younger than Matt Ryan.
0: Inaki in obviously played a big part in Martinez's success last season and therefore helped to bring in £16 million minimum worth of the transfer fee. So to allocate around £1 million of that to getting Runison in seems pretty low risk and sensible for a guy that Inaki Kanna knew pretty well as, as Art says so that, that sort of made sense the, the issue was that then, they then failed to get buyer and to get a second choice and it soon became clear um, also behind closed doors as far as I've been told that Ruson wasn't quite up to the standard so obviously that made the Ryan thing the Ryan deal a, a sort of a, a must do for this January window so yes I agree with you guys that thats that's a pretty good deal. Uh, to get done for six months at least. Um, and then, obviously, the uh, the most exciting deal, if, if perhaps actually the most exciting deal in the Premier League this month, if not actually around Europe as a whole, given given Odegaard's reputation and where he's coming from around Madrid, is obviously Martin Odegaard coming to Arsenal uh, on loan. And that, I think, I should say, uh, and I want to say is... Uh, one that I raised myself on this podcast just three weeks ago, saying that would be a good move for them to do, which partly shows how I didn't know they were planning that, which is bad, uh, but also partly shows that I've clearly got the right idea in my head. But <laughs> I'll try and claim it as a, as, as a, as a good thing. Um, and to get more of a sort of lowdown on him, we spoke to AFP journalist and the BBC Spanish football expert, Tom Olna, who's based in Madrid, about Odegaard and what he could bring to Arsenal.
5: I think the first, probably the place to start is really probably with with Zidane himself because I think everyone, when he came back, Odegaard last year, um, after his his loan at at Real Sociedad, there was a a big expectation that he could take the form that he he had at Real Sociedad to Real Madrid. And everyone was very much hoping that this was one of the most exciting players, um, not only in Spain, but I think, you know, if you go further back, you know, for a while, this is one of the most exciting players in the world. And um, the idea was that suddenly after... A few years of, of not delivering on that huge potential at Real Sociedad he had you know or at least he was starting to, to show that um, and the the hope was that, that Real Madrid even though they hadn't been able to sign anyone really because of the pandemic and they were struggling financially that they're essentially having a new signing by bringing him back but there was always a feeling I think a, a worry really particularly amongst journalists like us who had enjoyed watching Odegaard play last season that he wouldn't that he wouldn't get the, the time and the opportunity perhaps at Real Madrid that, that he needed. And also, generally, Zidane at the moment isn't favouring the youth players at Real Madrid. And, and that's not just about Odegaard, that's about other players. You know, We've seen Ceballos go to Arsenal, we've seen Reguilon at Spurs, we've seen um, other players who are still at Real Madrid you know, who are not getting opportunities, and Odegaard has definitely been one of those. Um, so there's a there's a sort of a cultural clash at the moment at the club, which is, which is going higher up, where the club wants Zidane to be pushing players like Odegaard through, and he, for whatever reason, isn't doing that. To be clear on this, it was it was Odegaard who wanted to move. You know, it was him who was saying, "Okay, I'm not happy mid of the season," which goes back to, goes back a bit to what we were saying before about him as, him as a personality that he wanted to leave to get more game time. Özil, of course, when he signed for Arsenal was was already a kind of a, a superstar, whereas Odegaard is, is very much still a work in progress. Um, but he does have that ability to to find a pass that 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 other players don't see. I think there was a particular moment last last season for our Sociedad when, quite early in the season in fact, when he played this pass against Alaves, I think it was. And it was one of those passes where the next day all the Spanish newspapers sort of had diagrams, you know, up basically sort of trying to find the thread that he passed the ball through throughout five or six different players. And it was an incredible through ball, and 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 it, and it wasn't it wasn't a one off, you know. I mean, he has that ability to to play forward, to play quickly, to get on the half turn, and and turn those um, those sort of periods of, of possession that teams have into something more dangerous. I mean, he reminds me a little bit, even of Christian Eriksen, a little bit, and also because he, he has a sort of a defensive side to his game, which I think will suit. Um, Modern coaches, you know, you know more than me, but particularly someone like Arteta, who who doesn't necessarily is not going to afford in his team just to have someone who has a free role and doesn't do the other side of the game. I think Odegaard is happy to press. He's happy to to put in his his own shift defensively as well. I think I think the key for him will be will be how much responsibility and how much trust he gets at Arsenal. Um, if he can get rhythm and continuity, and, and he feels the trust of 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 the coaching staff there and he gets a good run of games and I think it could be dangerous. The, 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 the big question mark really is not only can, can he adapt to a different league and a different club, which I think sometimes is slightly overrated, you know, that, that, that idea, especially with good players, but also how sharp is he going to be, you know, coming in mid-season? You know, we're talking about a player now who hasn't really played consistently for, for, for six or seven months. Can he go to a club like Arsenal where the intensity is very high, where the demands are very high mid-season? and deliver straight away in what is quite a short period of time, um, I think will be a challenge. But if he can get the, the rhythm going quickly and, and hit then hit the ground running and get his confidence up apart from anything else, then um, then I think Arsenal will have a, a player that could be very useful to them. The team are, are not playing particularly well and there's definitely an idea growing that Zidane may... Um, this They may make a change in the summer, whether Zidane instigates that or whether the club do. It might be that, that he is no longer the coach next season if they if they wanted to bring in a sort of a new era of players and they don't see Zidane as that person to to, to do that. So if you bring in another coach who then sees Odegaard as a player who they want to build a team around, who they want to, who want to build sort of a new generation of players around, and that could be a completely different thing, you know. And I think then you're looking at a club that will very much value Odgaard um, as being a very important player. If that doesn't happen, you know, if, if the situation is as as it is now, then. I can very much see Odegaard being on the market for a club like Arsenal, particularly given the context, which at the moment is that this, the top Spanish clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona are financially in a lot of trouble, you know? I mean, the other, the other day we saw that Barcelona are in over a billion pounds of, of total debt and, and Real Madrid not far behind. And I think if Arsenal made a good offer, you know, I mean, we're jumping a few steps there. You know, if Odegaard has a, has a really good few months and they think, wow, this is a player who can make a massive difference and he really... And he really uh, makes a big, a big impression at Arsenal, and Arsenal is suddenly willing to put up some, some, some big big offers for him, then I think Real Madrid would be very tempted, you know, almost simply because they have to be.
0: Art, he, Odegaard played for about 10 minutes against Man United. Did you see a game changing, mercurial talent there who's going to completely transform Arsenal's season?
2: Yeah, of course, in, in the 10th, he was on the pitch. <laughs> no, I'll be serious. Um, but I do feel that when you're looking at the squad that Arsenal have at the minute, uh, that was an area where they really needed to to get an addition, even if it is a short-term option on loan. When you see how Emil Smith-Rose transformed the, the way they're playing as that number 10, I feel you can't really rely on him for the rest of the season, especially with his injury history. I think that um, getting that creative support was always going to be the case for Arsenal going into January. And Martin Odegaard in particular, I think they've done very well for themselves um, with how um, he did at Real Sociedad in before his knee injuries. And I feel that's where you're really seeing the potential of what could happen uh, for the rest of the season. It'll be really interesting to see whether he's able to play alongside Emile Smith or I know that Arteta said he does believe that they can play together and I think that's where you may really see the best of both worlds because looking at Arsenal over the years um, especially in the last couple of years, Mesut Ozil's been the only real creator and that hasn't helped him that much and when you look at where he was at his best for Arsenal was when he had creative support like Jack Ram- uh, Jack Wilshere, Aaron Ramsey, uh, Santi Gazzola and Thomas Rozinski around him, where They can play that quick, incisive, one-touch football. And I think that's where Mikel Arteta would probably like to see uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and Martin Odegaard get to where they can play together and bounce off each other well and connect. And hopefully, uh, for him, that would lead to more chances created in games rather than having to rely on Kieran Tierney, for instance.
0: Charlie, do you see uh, Arsenal going back to a... You know, Jack Ramsey, Santi Arteta, Mikhail Rizitski kind of midfield. <laughs> what a player
1: Jack Ramsey was, absolutely. It was <laughs> such a shame what happened to him in the end. <laughs> um, but on oh no, God, I, 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 I'm really looking forward to God and what he can do between now and the end, of the end of the season. I just hope he gets up to speed and it doesn't end up being another Dennis Suarez type. I know a lot of people have raised that possibility Um that it could happen and I hope it doesn't over gets up to speed, adjusts well, slots into the team, stays injury free and actually makes a big impact because I, I'm not sure it's going to end up being a long-term thing just because of his situation at, in Madrid. And I, I can't see Zidane seeing out, well, he might see out the season, but I can't see him starting next season's manager. And then that might lead to Olegal really getting more opportunities at Madrid. So I'm excited to see him because he's such a talent and he did so well at Sociedad and it'd be great to see him perform like that at Arsenal and like Art said, you know those sort of players are just it's what we've come to expect at Arsenal in that free-flowing football, one-two touch all behind the forwards, um, and it's something that's disappeared in recent years. And it'd be great to see it come back. And Smith Rose certainly added to that, the way he plays on the half turn, and the way he gets forward and drives his first instincts always to go forward, and um, you get the impression that Odegaard is very, very similar in that. Whether they can play together, I'm not sure because certainly in the four-two-three-one, it's like where, how, where do they, where does it fit, Odegaard? very left footed could play on the right and cut inside he did that at times at Sociedad but then Saka's made that position his own recently Pepe's playing pretty well so you might see it bits and pieces during games but not large chunks I imagine he'll be he'll be coming in to compete with Smith-Rowe and take the burden off him a little bit for number 10 but exciting signing and like you said I think when you look around Europe at what's happened this window in a very quiet window it's certainly one of the standout deals that has been done so far so that's, that's good news for Arsenal
0: Time now for our predictor game, Beat the Beat. Uh, the Beat lost for the third time in a row last time now as Agent Gons, friend of the pod, Agent Gons, predicted a 3-1 win over Newcastle. So the listeners are right on top and making us all look rather foolish given that we are supposed to be the Arsenal experts. Now the pictures are coming thick and fast at the moment. So we're going to skip ahead of the Wolves game on Tuesday and our next round will see us predict the outcome. Saturday's trip to Aston Villa and a reunion with our good friend, Emmy Martinez. So please do... Tweet us your predictions. We're at the Arsenal beat on Twitter and use the hashtag hashtag beat the beat. If your prediction is picked, to go up against our panel and you win, just like Agent Gons did last time out, you will go into the prize draw at the end of the season. So can you beat the beat? Charlie, what's your prediction for the bill game?
1: Um I am going to say I don't I don't see Arsenal winning this one, I have to say, but I don't I think it's going to be a draw. I'm going for 1-1. One, one.
0: Oh, a 1-1 one, one draw would be a, a big step forward after the absolute thrashing that Arsenal received against Villa at the Emirates earlier this season. How do you see this one panning out?
2: I was actually thinking a 1-0 draw as well. I don't think Arsenal would keep a clean sheet at Villa Park, even though they have gone on a, a very decent run of late in that regard. I do think that um, Villa's attack will be too much for them, at, especially at Villa Park. But I don't see them not scoring. <laughs> so I, I'm going for a 1-0 as well. It may be a bit conservative, but yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> I
0: think that's quite optimistic. I remember that that Villa game at the Emirates. Um, Ross Barkley, uh, Jack Wittich and Holly Watkins were very much on it that day and I think there was a moment just before the first Villa goal after about 20 minutes when Barkley and Rob Holding were sort of engaged in this weird dance-off standoff thing down the right Arsenal's right flank Villa's left and the way that Barkley and Grealish went on to sort of manipulate the ball and just totally tear apart the Arsenal defence makes me feel that they are the exact kind of players who Thrive on the counter-attack in the space that Arsenal tend to give teams in that kind of position. And I I think back to that and I I worry for Arsenal. Um, They have Thomas Partey available fully fit, I think he only played half that game um, and clearly Arsenal just weren't on it that night. But with Grealish on such good form and, and Barkley now fit again, is there not an argument to say we should predict a Villa win?
1: No, not necessarily. I think Arsenal are in much better shape. They kept, what, six clean sheets in the last seven. I think it is now any City have, defended, have conceded less in the league. I think they're pretty solid at the back. They're getting better. Rob Holding's in much better form. Louise is playing well. Party's in and fit. So, no, I don't, I don't think it's saying a draw's optimistic at all. I think Arsenal can go there and, and get themselves at least a point.
0: All right, fine. You've, you've, uh, you've outvoted me two to one. So, that makes our official prediction for this weekend's game. One one. And yes, do tweet us your predictions using the hashtag beat the beat. That's all for today on the Arsenal Beat. Thank you for joining us and do follow us on Twitter at the Arsenal Beat for our latest episodes, the results of the predictor game, and links to various stories, features, and exclusives written by our extensive panel and our regular guests. Our second special episode, the ostracizing of Meza Erzil. It's still available as the likes of James Olley and Raphael Boninstein look back on Ozil's time at the Everest Stadium and delve deeply into what went wrong. We'll be back on February the 10th. And until then, as ever, stay safe.